Hi, guys. It's Chris Marshall from For All Mankind, and you are listening to the Sci-Fi Sisters podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sisters podcast. I'm Tamia Harper, and I'm joined by my sister, Yvette Blackman-Tong. Hello. Fran T. What's happening? And Sabrina Wood. This is the show where we give you our point of view. We are proud members of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. And, you know, we do a lot of Star Trek on this show because we're hardcore Trekkies. But we do a lot of stuff that's not Trek all the time because we just love science fiction in general. And today we have a really special guest that has all of us geeking out and particularly Sister Sabrina, uh, because we love her work. You might have known her. If you're a listener of ours, you probably met her in Supergirl, but she's done a lot of things, uh, especially This Is Us and Shameless and Bull and many, 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 many stage credits. But we know her today from For All Mankind on Apple Plus TV as the sister Danielle Poole, the sister who's holding the ship together. We (laughs) give you the one and only Miss Chris Marshall. Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, welcome to the show. We're so excited that you're here. And thank you so much for being here. Um, Because like I said, like, I'm not lying. We love For All Mankind. We got Mm. hooked. But I mean, it's natural because we're Trekkies and we're also huge DS9 fans from Star Trek. So look who's look who's at the helm of this show, right? Ron Moore, <laughs> right? The right. man, the man with the plan. Mm-hmm. And, like, the Akutas. and the Akutas. And the Akutas. All the Akutas are great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, it was, it's a natural fit for us, but then, you know, so I started watching the show. I'm just going to put my own two cents in like before to get us started. Mm-hmm. I started watching the show and I did not think that I was going to like it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I was like, oh, God, here we go. Mad Men vibe all over again. I Mm -hmm. could care less. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. But it got me the writing. Got and the characters were Mm -hmm. so compelling. It got Mm -hmm. me hooked. And then came you. And I was like, (gasps) they got a sister in the space program. (laughs) 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 Sabrina's over there exploding. (laughs) and and so you know and then so I was totally hooked you know when when your character came in because Danielle Poole you know is playing I mean you are playing Danielle Poole who is the first black woman Mm -hmm. in space yeah right like yeah you've been acting since you were a child right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. did you ever see yourself playing like the first black woman in space I mean did your imagination go there Never, never. Um, you know, I have spoken about this some um, because, you know, I host our show's companion podcast as well. And this is one of the topics that came up for me, you know, when the idea of the podcast first came to me from our producers, <clears throat> my first response was like, well, why would I be the person who does it? I probably know the least about science or, you know, engineering or mathematics in the group. And they said, yeah, but you're, you know, a really curious person and you like to talk. So I think you'd be perfect for it. (laughs) So the idea kind of came about naturally. And as I started to interview some of these former NASA astronauts, and I sat down with some really great folks. I sat down with, of course, Garrett Reisman, who's been to the International Space Station three times, and Nicole Stott, who holds the record for the longest female spacewalk, and just some really incredible people. And by the time I got to the end of recording the first season of the podcast, it sort of dawned on me that this experience, um, just was not even within the realm in my mind of something that could be for me. I think um, as an actress and as a Black actress, you have assumptions of what you can do when you grow up. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, of course, as a a kid, I watched, you know, Felicia Rashad and um, Vanessa Williams and and these sort of women who played um, variations of mothers or lawyers or doctors or whatever have you. Um, But there really wasn't other than, of course, the most obvious example of um, of Star Trek, 
but there really weren't many Black women in the space of sci-fi. There weren't many Black women in the space of the NASA program, really. We all know about Mae Jemison, of course, but there's only been less than a handful since her first voyage, which was in the early 1990s. And so I think that, <clears throat> Sabrina, you are talking a minute ago about LeVar Burton, and I think this sort of like, if you can dream it, you can believe it thing is easy to say to kids. But if kids don't actually see it with their own two eyes, then their little minds are limited to what their imagination can tell them they can be. Um, so all that, like, you can be anything you want to be. But in your mind, you're like, well, I don't know any Black astronauts. I don't even know any astronauts that look like me. And so even you have movies like, you know, First Man and the Apollo movies and things like mm -hmm. that. You just continue through our culture to see that. Um, if you ask a five-year-old, what does an astronaut look like? They're going to point to Ryan Gosling. They're going right. to point to uh, Tom Hanks. They're not going to point to Chris Marshall. Um, so I think on my own little microcosm, the show is just such an amazing experience. And um, as you mentioned, uh, working with Ron Moore, who is such a legend in the space, and so many other great, incredible people who are really hardworking and very talented. Um, and for me, it's been a great journey. But I think the larger scope of knowing that I have um, the opportunity, but also the responsibility of bringing into the homes of more Black and brown girls what it looks like to be an astronaut, like that's really cool. That really excites me. I love that. I love that because I mean, that's, that's what we're here for. I know Sabrina, go ahead. I know you're busting. No, I'm just sitting here just loving it all. I cannot, but it's, it's so true. I mean, I was one of those kids that I, I, I had a Luna module ma model, you know, I made nice. one, you know, I, I, I'm that kid. I sat and watched everything, the, the Gemini missions, the Apollo missions, and when I saw you on that screen, I was like, oh, now we're talking. Okay. <laughs> and I, I am so glad. You, I love the character arc. And I want to thank the writers and Ron for, you know, you came in there and, and with Clayton, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, because I'm yeah. fascinated with that whole relationship. Yeah. I love that they gave you a full character. They gave yeah. you a full backstory, a full mm -hmm. family. You're not... Oh, and we have one black female astronaut, sure. by the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, you know, I, when I got the job, I didn't know what the world would entail. I had not um, had the opportunity to read the script. I actually was going in for a different show altogether. I was in the casting director's office for a Lena Waithe show. Um, and so I did, my, I did my audition and the audition was good and I left and they had actually already found the Danielle Poole but the producers weren't happy with her. Um, they were like, okay, well, the role starts on Thursday and today's Monday. So, you know, they've already given this girl the job, um, unbeknownst to me, of course. So I'm walking out of the audition for this other show, this Lena Waits show, and the casting director, knowing that Ron and the team weren't super, they, they knew that they didn't have the girl, but they had a girl who would do well enough. So they ran out to me and said, hey, you know, do you have a moment to <laughs> read this thing about NASA? And it's just like somebody walking up to you and being like, hey, can you quickly do this brain surgery? Like, I'm like, what are you thinking? Can I quickly read this thing about, like, you can't just dip into some NASA. I need a minute. Right. <laughs> like, oh, no, no, no. Just quickly read it over. And I'm like, Arr. okay. So I'm like, Google, hey, Siri, what is, you know, just trying to like get my mind wrapped around this. And so, you know, I read it over for literally 10 minutes and they poke their heads back out. Like, are you ready? And I'm like, as ready as I'll ever be. And so one wow. of the scenes that I had, um, you know, one was in, um, was in a simulator, which is incredibly complex dialogue, all the science stuff. And, you know, it's like, do I, do I say, you know, whatever, um, V or do I say five, you know, like when you see mm -hmm. the letter V, like, I don't even know, like how this language goes. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to do great at that scene. But then one of the scenes was the scene that I have um, with Gordo and Clayton in the outpost. Mm. Um, and I was like, okay, I know how to hold on to this. I know I can do well with this. And so I really just like did the best I could. And um, that evening, just a few hours later, I found out that they wanted to offer me the role. Um, so the next day I was in a costume fitting. And the day after that, I was on set. Wow. So, you know, I really did not have a chance to kind of like even get my sea legs with this whole thing. Um, but I knew pretty early on, like I'm in good hands. I'm working with 
mean, with really great people and I'm going to be fine. Um, so as the episodes, you know, come out to us and I got then the episodes five and I've got episode seven, which is the big episode, Hi Bob. And I saw the really complex story that we were telling about Clayton's mental health beginning to decline and him having returned back from Vietnam and the effects that that was having on him emotionally. Um, I just thought that it was so profound mm-hmm. um, taking a step out of being Danielle and just being Chris. I know it, uh, very intimately what it's like to have uncles and grandfathers mm-hmm. who have suffered from um, alcoholism or mental illness or have gone away to a war, a war in which they were seen as valiant and honorable, and then come home and not been met with a ticker tape parade, mm-hmm. been met with a long line at the VA. Mm-hmm. and a handful of pills and sit down and shut up and oh you just got the shakes or you know you just got it was all dismissed mm-hmm. so you know to see that we didn't just tell a really thorough and thought out story for Danielle but that we gave Clayton this inner life and um and gave this relationship real depth and not just the easy monolith of Oh, this is a happy black couple. Great. We told enough. But to tell the the more nuanced side of that relationship, I was just so excited. And so as the years have gone on and season two, I saw more of that. And now season three, which I'm so excited for you guys to see more of. Um, I just continue to be amazed at how, um, of course, led by Ron, but really all of our writers find ways to um, tell Danielle's human story and not just her black woman story. Mm-hmm. 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 Yes. That gets three not- sci-fi sister snaps yes. in a circle. Still does. <laughs> yeah. That's all we ask for. Yeah. That's, that's humans. That's yeah. all we ask yeah. for. We're just My bro- human beings living living day to day. Let's see that story. My brother mm. is a Vietnam vet. Mm. And it, it, exactly what you said is what ha- what has happened to him and it mm-hmm. continues to this day sure sure yeah my my stepfather was in vietnam and unfortunately he's passed maybe two years but never i remember the methadone clinics and mm-hmm. you know i i remember i everything you said i lived through that through mm-hmm. growing up with him um never getting better just never you know and nobody cared if he got better you know we did yeah but you know it was, I mean, till the day he died, he, he suffered, you know, yeah. we, we miss him, but I know it's better. Yeah. And this is, this is just two years ago. He passed away. I, my brother too, also another Vietnam vet, you know, didn't come back the way he went over. Sure. And what I really loved or not loved about this was that, you know, Ed Baldwin and Gordo, the two main white males in this show mm-hmm. also had PTSD for mm-hmm. various reasons you know Ed had his career experience and and Gordo had his moon experience mm-hmm. but they never lost their jobs because of it and they were always coached and brought back sure and they were still given a second chance but that didn't happen for Clayton and right. I, that always hits me when I watched this I was like I don't know if they intended it to be this way, but they nailed it because Clayton didn't, you know, when he was talking about, I can do more than bagging in a supermarket. Oh, he was mm-hmm. breaking my heart. Mm-hmm. That broke my heart. Well, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt that Edwin Hodge is just so incredibly talented yes. and so damn handsome. So yes. Be on the eyes and easy to work with. My husband saw those scenes and was like, wait a minute, do you run it into his arms a little too joyous? That was, that was not it's the method acting, baby. It's the exactly, method. honey. I had to kiss him on the lips every take because I am an actor, okay? Uh, yes. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> no, but Sabrina, what you what you just said about um about Clayton's story is so true, and it absolutely is intentional. Um, in in the writers' room, they talk about these things about what does it mean to return home, what does it mean to come back, and you know, even in that scene in the the outpost, um, Gordo was asking him, "Oh man, so you know, did you see any fighting?" And Clayton's like. Yeah. Yeah, I saw some fighting. And it's easy for you, the the guy who's lily white, you know, to maybe you fly for the Air Force or maybe you're a commander somewhere, but you weren't 
in the shit. And this is, mm-hmm. you know, not me being bad mouth. This is what he says. Nope. You weren't in the shit. You weren't breathing in the smell of death. So, you know, oftentimes in these combat situations, black bodies are used as human shields. Right. So it's a very different experience to be Ed Baldwin, who still had a tough time in Korea, but be Ed Baldwin, who is a commander, who's a naval captain, who is flying high and who really is um, at the helm and at the forefront of all of this war, but he's not directly dodging bullets the way that Clayton's dodging bullets. Right. And exactly what you said, Sabrina, is true for him to come home and have actually put his life on the line and to then be um, applying for jobs to bag groceries. It's just completely demoralizing. And then to be Danielle, who's in this impossible situation, you know, she's right. worked her, her butt off. Yeah. She was, um, you know, the, of course, the movie Hidden Figures made these women very mm-hmm. famous, but their story is the backbone. They are literally the, the marrow of what the NASA program was because these women did the calculations to put the rockets in the sky in the first place. And so she has had this long trajectory of being incredibly smart, being a really whiz kid and working so hard to get to this place. And now she kind of can't even celebrate in that victory because she's got a man on her hands who she knows needs her very badly. Mm -hmm. And sadly, in between seasons one and two, we discovered that he commits suicide. Um, So, you know, these, I just, again, I love so much about the, the show that I am on and the story that I get to tell and, you know, as I, Chris, finished season one, I thought, oh, good. Okay, Danielle's back in town and she's working Capcom and she's helping, you know, organize things and Ellen catches the tank and all's well and her and Clayton yeah. are back together. And I can't wait for season two to start because they probably got two babies and it's going to be beautiful. <laughs> oh. And then I get the script and it's just, it's like opening shot. Danielle is in her little sad Volkswagen jalopy or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, and she is, you know, gaunt, she's thin, she's worn tired, and Clayton has committed suicide three weeks ago. And you're just like, wait, what? This is not at all what I thought would be the next step. And and one of the things I love about our storytelling apparatus is that because we jump nine years, 10 years in between seasons, um, we get to see such a huge scope of who these people are. Yeah. So going back to what you ladies were saying earlier about, you know, it's just so beautiful to see a black character in a sci-fi story who doesn't just, who's not just a representative or a token. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what I'm talking about. And I think because, because we've got a great team behind us, because we tell the story over a really long span of time, we get to really see um, the full scope of who she is. Yeah, I I think, you know, oh my gosh, everything you just said, everything. Mm-hmm. I love I love that particular part of her life, of her story arc. And like when she goes to visit Clayton's sister. Mm. Tough. Oh, tough, 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 tough. You know, and, and you know what's interesting, like when I was um researching for the show, because I've watched all these episodes before and I was like, wait, which episode does that happen in? Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't remember, was it the end of season one? Was it the beginning of season two? You know, like mm-hmm. I couldn't remember where it was, but I never forgot that scene. Oh, I'm yeah. telling you, you guys nailed that scene. It was visceral. I felt it. I've had those conversations, but mm-hmm. you know, like I thought it was really interesting. First of all, when I was doing the research, I couldn't find that scene mentioned in any mm-hmm. of the recaps. And I was like, oh. hmm, mm-hmm. that's really telling, you know, mm-hmm. that's really mm-hmm. telling to me. Um, mm-hmm. And, but secondly, like, you know, his, his sister really reads Danielle, you know, she, <laughs> she reads her and, yes. <laughs> you know, I don't know that, um, a lot of, I don't know if a lot of non-black folks like really got that, got that, yeah. the significance of that moment in Danielle's life. Can you talk about that moment? A little yeah. Bit? Um, the actress I played opposite, her name is Yanni and she, um, she didn't come to play that day. Uh-uh. She came to work and <laughs> I held on for dear life. Um, and there were so many takes that we did of that scene where I could not stop crying. And our director really said, you know, you need to hang in there. You can't let her break you. This is important. Um, but to speak more about the scene, you know, Clayton's sister is representative of a lot of black folks who have this experience about science and technology where they say to themselves, 
well, what the hell does that have to do with the price of tea in China? I'm trying to put food on the table. I'm trying to put gas in the tank. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to put school clothes on my children and um, shoes on their feet. And so the idea that NASA is spending billions to put rockets in the sky, or as Clayton's sister says, uh, to see if beans will sprout on the moon, (laughs) is so preposterous when we have babies who don't have formula, when we have folks who are living in project housing, who, you know, don't have a roof that doesn't leak when it rains, like we have real uh, problems on our hands. And you, Danielle, are a part of the problem because you are essentially an Uncle Tom and you are a token. And the fact that you think that what you do is something you should be proud of is laughable to me. Mm. And it was, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because, and this is again, a tribute to the writing, everything she said, I both completely disagree about, uh, disagree with, and also totally understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it yeah. just made me want to crawl in a hole because what she's saying is true. If I hadn't had my head in the clouds and been so eager to please these white folks, I might've noticed that my husband was declining and that he was on the edge. Um, and at the same time, of course, I need her to see that the advances that I make, even though they have brought me here as a token, you can give me a seat at the table as a token all you want to. I still have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't stop me from having a seat at the table, <clears throat> from having a voice, and for advocating for folks like me. And so a lot of Danielle's experience, even though I, Chris, am not an engineer, um, <laughs> a lot of my experience is very simpatico with hers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's no mystery that I am the only black person on our show. Right. And now in season three, of course, that has changed some, but, um, you know, for the first two years, shy of some guest characters who did some really amazing work, but I was oh, the only black person in the, Webster. the lead cast. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah, JJ, yeah. love JJ. is a great one. Oh, God. Um, but in the main cast of the series regulars, I was the only one. And so yeah. I recognized that I serve a purpose in the story that I am in some ways a diversity hire or whatever have you. But at the same time, with my presence there, I tell a larger portion of a Black story. Mm -hmm. Now, because I'm there, we get to see Clayton. We get to see Clayton's sister. We get to now in season two or season three, see my husband who's played by Sean Patrick, who is just such a little darling and my (laughs) stepson. So like my, my, I get to be the flag in the sand and then more worlds kind of expound from there. And then now, of course, we have um, uh, Eddie Gathegi, who is a wonderful actor as well. And so, you know, I, I see both sides. I see the perspective of, of a person whose ideals are similar to Clayton's sister, who says, you know, you need to sit down and shut up and remember where you came from and don't get too big for your britches. But then I also, of course, see the perspective of Danielle that's like, I don't care what purpose I serve for them. I know what purpose I serve for me. For me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think we've all been there. Yep. <laughs> on, on, on both sides. Uh, yep. all, all have been there. Yeah. Uh, that was, I, you know, that was just such a, it was such a powerful scene. I played that over like two or three times, you know, just watch both of you actors do that scene. <laughs> I know that took some stuff out of both of you. Yeah, and then my other favorite scene, though I tell you, was in season th- in season three coming up here. You know, when you touch that ring, you know Clayton is dead, mm-hmm. and we jump forward nine years to season three. And when they, season two, season two is when I touched the ring. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when they, they put that ring, oh yeah, when they put that, when you touch that ring, I just mm-hmm. lost it. I just lost yeah. it. I said Clayton still influencing you you still love Clayton even after all this time and everything you've been through you just it just kills you to take that ring off and I was like oh my god well one of the things I think that's really very clever storytelling is the scene that I have with Clayton's sister where she basically you know gives me a stern talking to I think that's like probably episode three or episode four in season two and so that happens and it feels like it happens in a nutshell and, you know, it, but it leads Danielle to then go into Ed's office and say, mm-hmm. wait, wait a damn minute now. I'm not going to just go and be willy nilly and be on some umpteenth mission to Jamestown. I need to be a commander. And so we see how she takes that moment of adversity and rather than letting it um, uh, take the wind out of her sails 
it puts the wind at her back Mm -hmm. and forces her to then go and demand what she's asked for. And just like you mentioned a second ago, Sabrina, the same thing happens at the end of the season where they, you know, are saying it's too dangerous. It's too crazy. Come back. We're not going to do the handshake with the Russians. Mm-hmm. And Danielle realizes that, you know, what her sister-in-law has said and what Clayton has said is totally true. If you allow them, they will always tell you, hang in there, yep. mm-hmm. be patient, yep. keep smiling. Your yep. time is not now, but mm-hmm. we haven't forgotten you. Right. Be good. You're, you're yep. our old faithful. That's it. And so Danielle has had so many years in this program of being the good girl of being the one who does the right thing um and now she starts to realize like if i don't step forward and reclaim my time nobody's going to do it for me mm-hmm. and so that action of her being totally disobedient and is one of my favorite lines of season two is when she calls down to houston and says you better send up those coordinates because we're doing this handshake and they're like, you've been given strict orders not to. And she's like, well, either you send us the coordinates or we smash into each other on national TV. The rest right. is on you. It's all on you. Uh, it's all I on you. So it. you let me know what you want to do. I love and that. And then they do it. So that was it. Mom, so like, that, that Danielle is the same Danielle who we see leading into season three, who then is now no longer this little patter on the head, give her a chance when she can. Right. She is even Steven with Ed Baldwin. The program is split. You know, Molly thinks that Ed should be the guy to go. Margot, who's the head of the program, thinks that Danielle <laughs> should be the guy to go. And Danielle earned those stripes and earned a position, not just up with Ed, but truly right. neck and neck with Ed That's right. because she fought for herself when we last saw her. Mm-hmm. And the catalyst was the was the sister-in-law. Was that damn sister-in-law? Right. That damn sister-in-law. I was so happy when, when Danielle decided to do that. Because I, I was looking, I was at the screen going, please do it. Please do it. Don't be that girl. Do it. Do it. You mm-hmm. can do it. Just get it done. <laughs> be the hero. Be the hero. Because that drive, it just drove me crazy that you broke your arm to save uh, Gordo. Gordo. I was like, oh yeah i was like all right all right and then when we didn't get resolution yeah and no one was talking about it i was like wait wait what about danielle and the broken heart why is she you know what yvette you and i both i listen as an actor sometimes you have to tell a story that you don't personally agree with and that was one of those ones where i really fought back and i said wait a minute you know she has fought so long and hard to get to where she is and now you're telling me that she's going to just throw herself on a flaming pyre because because Gordo may lose his marbles and it was really really tough for me to stomach and I felt like um you know this is feeling real anti-feminist and this is feeling a little it's just feeling like a weak choice Mm -hmm. and again one of the things that I'm really grateful about is that the fact that I can even have that conversation um with my producers tells me that I'm in a safe space so often this is just a small tangent but so often um, women and black women in Hollywood, when they bring up those kinds of conversations of, I don't know how I feel about this choice. I don't love this costuming. I don't feel great about this hair, whatever. They're labeled as impossible and difficult and a pain and all this sorts of stuff. And the fact that I can say, hey, we got to talk about this because I'm watching this character who's worked her behind off get to a point where she is at the precipice of all of her successes coming together and you're telling me that she's going to just choose to break her arm to sacrifice this man and one of the things that that our writers said to me is they said one she's human and so human beings make huge mistakes all the time and two that mistake that she made will play into who she becomes later on and at that time, I couldn't see that far ahead because we were only on episode seven of season one. But when I look back now of, you know, three years of having played the same role, I'm so grateful that Danielle made that choice because she made a choice that ultimately took away her power in many ways and made the program question her. There was a small moment in season two where there's a sign on the wall and it says, be careful. Yes. Don't yes. let yeah, this, this be happen to you. Yeah. And it's a picture of Danielle with her arm mm-hmm. in a sling. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, when you're looking at it in season one, you're like, why would she do that? Well, then you look at it season two and you see, oh, this is creating an obstacle for her. It's not going to just be easy street. It's not mm-hmm. just, oh, we, we let a black woman in the program. Yahoo. Now black women are at the, the forefront of everything. <laughs> Absolutely not. We have to find ways to 
continue to create obstacles for this character so she can keep fighting through, keep pushing, keep trying to prove herself. So yeah, at the time I didn't see it. I didn't like it. And now I'm really grateful for it because now it shows me the trajectory of how far this, this person could come. And I'll tell you what, Present day Danielle, I ain't breaking her arm for nobody. Mm-hmm. Thank oh, you. Right? Oh, man. <laughs> Present day Danielle wouldn't take Gordo's shit. No way. No she way. would not. <laughs> she ain't taking Ed <laughs> shit. Yeah, she's up. not taking Ed shit either. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I, I wanted to talk about that because um, in season three, when they're trying to make that decision about which one is going to lead the mission to Mars, mm-hmm. is it going to be Danielle? Is it going to be Ed? Mm-hmm. And you, I, I loved the relationship that you and Ed Baldwin have, that Danielle and Ed Baldwin have, because it was, um, I, I've been in a lot of places where I've, I've been the only woman, I've been the only black woman and, you know, with a lot of white guys. And it, it just mm-hmm. happened. I went to a school that was predominantly male, white male. You know, I, I did do a lot of things that just seemed to have a lot of guys all the time. And then you, you do, do develop these really close friendships Mm-hmm. People find it very odd or they don't believe it or they think there's something else going on. And I like that you and Ed and Gordo at the time had this relationship where, yeah, maybe you would break your arm for him because mm-hmm. you guys were in the shit in Jamestown. Yeah. That was that hey, high Bob stuff was beyond <laughs> crazy. I mean, you know, you two, you three were the only three that knew what really went down there. And yeah. you and Ed had gone through so much. I mean, Clayton had died. His son had died. You've mm-hmm. been with him through all of that. You've been with mm-hmm. him through, you know, so many things. Even Polaris. I mean, you two had been through it. So when Ed said that shit to you at the outpost, mm-hmm. that broke my heart almost mm-hmm. as much as when Tracy and Gordo went down. I could mm-hmm. not believe it because I mean, he was your buddy. Yeah. He fought for you, and then you know, you always have that feeling where, yeah, you know. You always know that white people like you and they'll like, like to see you get ahead and they'll like to see you get stuff, but then you get as much as them and they're still okay. They're cool. Then you go ahead of them and all oh, baby, all of a sudden it's another story. And that's so, so I, I tell you, when I read that, I mean, I just slammed the script. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. I mean, it was, it just really pissed me off. And for our listeners, just to jog them in, you know, this is a scene where we're in the outpost. This is the, towards the end of episode two of season Mm -hmm. three. And, you know, the funny thing I think is really interesting is that at the start of the episode, when Molly tells Danielle that she is not the choice, that Ed is the choice. And Molly says, you know, do you need a time to think about it? If you want to be on Ed's backup crew and before she can even get the thought out, Danielle says, I don't need to think about it. Okay. Whatever the program needs, whatever Ed needs, I'm there for it. So I think it's very interesting how when a Black woman is faced with adversity and told to, again, sit down, be patient, wait your turn, her response is, okay, you got it. Anything he needs, I'll be there. But there's that lovely moment when they're in the astronaut office just Mm -hmm. a few moments later, and she goes Mm -hmm. to him, and (laughs) he's saying, hi, Bob, and he's walking in all joyful with a stupid broken leg. And she's like, you know what? if you slip up for just one second, I'm going to take your place. And so she's eyeing him. She both loves him. They are friends, but she's eyeing him and keeping her eye on the prize. And thank God she does. Mm -hmm. Because then later, of course, when Margot takes it back from Ed and gives it to Danielle, um, she's been ready. She's been ready all along. And she, you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. Mm -hmm. What I think is really interesting. And and Joel and I talked about this and you guys are going to hear it um, in episode eight of the podcast. I have Joel uh, on and we talk. And I said to him, you know, what was it like for you to tell that part of the story? Because, you know, Joel and I are really good friends in real life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I said, it must have been tough for you to read that Ed basically says, if this was a level playing field, and we weren't talking about you being some diversity choice, you and I both know that I would be the one. How How does that make you feel? And Joel had a really beautiful answer. And he said, you know, it pissed me off. I don't like that side of Ed. But I also can understand how when the world is shifting the way that it is and it should be he said that um we're including more people of color more women more uh, people of different sexual orientations and things like that that naturally there will be a shift away from what has always been the predominance which was um cisgendered white good-looking men basically mm-hmm. um and so he says so while I completely think that the world needs to continue to shift the way that it has. I can also see why those men 
hold on for dear life because mm-hmm. the power that they once had is slipping through their fingers like sand. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he just had a really beautiful response. He was like, I, of course, him, Joel, he's like, I didn't like that, but it makes complete sense why Ed, who, even though he loves Danielle, even though they go way back. And as you mentioned, they've he went through a divorce she became a widow he lost a child they were marooned on the moon for five months living in tight quarters breathing in each other's exhales all that still doesn't change the fact that he is accustomed to having the world centered around him um centered around men that look like him and so that ugliness this is his word but i love it that ugliness um Mm -hmm. and that ugly little nasty moment and that dig um, is real oh, and mm-hmm. that is what human beings do people who love you people who know you still say ugly unkind untrue frankly mm-hmm. untrue things about you based on their own um insecurities shortcomings and uh and their own pain yeah. so again it's just so easy to write a space show about <laughs> handsome captain america guys who always do and say the right thing and that's so boring it's so much more lovely right. to have the lead of the show say some totally cross out his mouth, racist, rude thing, and then keep on moving. Keep That's real life. <laughs> what are you going to do? Stop That's being right. his friend? Quit the program? Yeah. No, you take that licking and you both keep on ticking. You both keep on loving each other and you remain friends and you move through it. Yeah, but just now I know. Now yeah. I know. But we're going to yeah. keep on. Right. Right. But now I know. <laughs> but if you look at that and parallel that to in real life, with the, the backlash that Sonequa Martin Green has gotten, because mm. she's not the square jawed white mm-hmm. captain, cisgendered white captain in the chair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that has mm-hmm. happened in real life. There was a lot of backlash about her in that part. She and Michelle Yeoh, when the first. Mm. I'm talking about Star Trek. Yeah, of course, of course. Mm -hmm. There was Mm -hmm. backlash with the first trailer before Mm -hmm. the show even premiered. Before there's even anything to even judge or assess. Exactly. Because it wasn't, you know, the square jawed white guy who comes and saves everything. So Mm -hmm. you hit the nail on the head. it's, it's, It's slipping away. And it's slipping away in real life. And it's slipping away in other things, too. So thank you for, you know. Yeah, and we're getting the same thing with Moses right now too. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that um, I, it's just, it's it's heartbreaking. My husband and I were talking about this just the other night and he he wasn't privy to any of this. He's not on Twitter. He, you know, is not a social media kind of guy, but I was telling him about um, the girl, uh, Haley Bailey, who plays Ariel in the new um, little mermaid and she's getting the same thing Mm -hmm. where she posts a photo of herself on set and says it was such a joy to play ariel and there are just you know thirty thousand comments of people saying you're not my ariel it's Mm -hmm. it's disgusting Mm -hmm. Um, but i think that that you know as strange as it is and maybe i'm a little bit of a pollyanna but i think that when we see that it's kind of like um you know cutting open a boil and letting the pus come out it's telling us that our society is changing and uh-huh. there are going to be folks who don't like that change. And that's okay. You can uh-huh. scream, you can yell, you can unsubscribe to Apple TV plus all you want to, but the change is coming. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. I feel uh-huh. that way. And, you know, I mean, to date the show, I mean, I was watching the, uh, the hearings last night about the, uh, January 6th, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, Insurrection. 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 Thank you. I was like, what's the word? Yeah, I was about to say riot. And I'm like, that's not the word, though. It was a flat, like a riot is totally different. A riot yeah. is not trying to topple an entire system of government. You know, <laughs> that's, a riot is like, I'm going to take this TV. Um, right, I'm going to burn down the CBS. Right. You know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was, I feel like that's exactly where we are in this moment in our history, right? Like this, um, these, these people are trying to hold on for dear life, uh, mm-hmm. as they say, it, because their entire worldview and way of life is, is being threatened. They mm-hmm. feel, you know, mm-hmm. they feel, you know, although the, 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 the we, we all know the reality of it is that it, this in no way threatens us. This in fact makes us stronger, sure. you know, but, 
you know, we had the same thing, like we have these cyclical moments of great change, Mm -hmm. you know, and you always see this, this really violent opposition to the growth and the change, right? Mm -hmm. Just like we did in this had in the 60s, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's pretty much the same thing now. And then our society as a whole, took a huge leap forward, like all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. no, it's not politic, you don't say, you know, you don't say the N-word, you don't call them colored anymore. Like mm-hmm. there was a societal shift, even if we didn't achieve everything that we think we should have achieved, right? There was still like a moment forward and and still a different, I grew up in 1971 and a really being born in 71 in a really different place than what Fran and Sabrina grew up with as a child. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? 869, that's when the shift started right you see what you see what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like though Mm -hmm. but like when you were coming up it was very like we had fundamental differences in how we saw the world and experienced the world because of what happened in 68 and 69 and Mm -hmm. so the kids who are coming up now you know they're going to have fundamental difference our society is going to be even more inclusive Mm -hmm. i mean like it's standard practice at at business meetings now to put your pronouns in what <laughs> are you kidding me try that in 1989 when i was graduating <laughs> high school <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i don't think so nope <laughs> you know so i agree with you that you know it it seems like it's really hard and it seems like and because it, it is um mm. but we are and it is in fact a sign of growth you know mm. it, but if we're vigilant and you know exactly. I believe if we're vigilant yeah. and, and don't let it slip away Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there is more than one way to skin the cat. Mm-hmm. I feel like there is um, the sort of overt activism, which is incredibly important. And we're talking about um, equal pay for women and men. We're talking about equal pay for people of color as uh, for white people. All that stuff is important. And the really direct ways in which we can um, attempt to create change. I also think it's really important to have, I guess, more indirect ways of creating change. And for me, that is through my artistry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so many people don't know what it's like to get to know a gay person until mm-hmm. they work with one. Right. But they don't know what it's like to get to know a black person until they work with one or until they live next door to one. And so I can't live next door or work with, with everybody, but I feel <laughs> like by creating a story where people get to see that, yes, Danielle's a Black woman, but she's also a Trekkie. And I just love that she's, you know, waiting for the, the capsule to take off. And she's like, well, that was episode 61 that aired first. <laughs> yeah, just, I know, right? She knows it so well, you know? All the Trekkies were like, yeah! I know, we, did, we all were like, squeak! We knew it. <laughs> so yeah, so she, she she's a Trekkie and she's also a lover of the Bob Newhart show. And oh, you know, there's hi, and she's also just an overall hi Bob. She's hi, also Bob. a TV geek, you know, and, and we see in the Hi Bob episode where they ask, like, how do you know so much about TV? And she says, Well, my mama was a maid and used to clean white ladies' houses. And so I spent a lot of time by myself watching television. That exact story is direct from my grandmother. Mm. My grandmother used to clean white ladies' houses and my mom used to sit around the house and watch a lot of TV when my mom, when my grandmother worked. And so I, we as a cast are very close with the writers and producers. And so we talk about real things in our lives and real stories. And those stories get seeped into our world. I'm from Atlanta. Danielle's from Tennessee. Um, so, you know, back to what you were just saying a second ago about the ways in which the world continues to change. I think both have to happen at the same time. Mm-hmm. If people are only faced with very direct change, they're going to resist it. But if they're able to see oh, this is what a gay person looks like. This is what a queer person looks like. This is what a a Black woman looks like because I'm seeing her every week in my life on television. I'm um, absorbing her in a way that feels, I don't know if it's non-threatening is the right right word, but it's through um, a more organic experience that I think that that creates a shift in all of us, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. I've always been um, that person like Sabrina I've always been the only woman everybody's black friend (laughs) well yes because I was was in the military and I was in I was in military intelligence so it was Mm -hmm. black people because they Mm -hmm. figured you know or we didn't know about it I think that was more um, sure we didn't know that was a choice it wasn't Mm -hmm. given to us I was given that choice because 
you know, I did very well on the test and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, so what can I do? They like pharmacy. I was like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to do that. You know, so I, you know, I found out through other means and knowing people that this mm-hmm. was a possibility. And you're right. It's um, even though I, I wasn't threatening, you know, um, not at first, <laughs> I'm sure I wasn't, but, you know, people got to know me um, and I was, I could tell I was, they had no black friends, you know, mm-hmm. none of these people, um, it was all men and they had no black friends. And, you know, I think it does help, you know, I know these, I still know these people and they're mm-hmm. very different, mm-hmm. uh, than when we first met, you know, mm-hmm. very, you know, I still have them as Facebook friends, even after Trump was in the white house. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's that real you, friendship, yeah. right? <laughs> right? right. <laughs> i i saw um in your bio they say that you love to travel i do that you're a big traveler and you've traveled to like what 50 over 50 countries or something Mm -hmm. that's amazing Mm -hmm. um so this love of traveling did this develop as a child i I have like a couple of questions about it you know Mm -hmm. um because like i'm interested to know from somebody so well traveled Mm-hmm. how you are received around the world as mm-hmm. a black American woman, mm-hmm. um, you know, like if that plays, and then also, you know, what your thoughts might be about um, black and Brown children getting chances to travel and see the world. So many thoughts, you know, what Yvette said a second ago about access is so important in saying, you know, I was in the military and I didn't even know that this military intelligence option was even an option. No one told me it was an option until someone did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel very fortunate that as a kid, my mom um, worked for the Department of Labor, was very successful. We lived in the DC suburbs when I was really little. Um, and so I was brought up in a very multicultural environment and not just like black and white, but like some of my friends were from Laos and some of my friends were, you know, from Lebanon. And so it was, you know, the, anybody who knows much about the DC metro area knows that it's super, super culturally diverse. Um, so travel was always a part of our lives from a really, um, early from, from when I was really young. And then, um, I think one of the things I have to credit my mom to is when we were kids, she was not big on material things, but she was really big about experiences. So she would say, okay, if you get straight A's, then we can go here or we can go there or we can take this trip or whatever. And so having that uh, disassociation with like, oh, being good means gifts, but instead being good means experiences. I've always been that kind of person. Um, so to answer your question about how I'm experienced or how I'm received around the world, um, it is as varied as the world is. <laughs> um, my husband and I got married in Greece and neither one of us is Greek or has any Greek heritage, but we just <laughs> think it's the most beautiful place on the earth. And um, that's a place that if you are a black woman, who's looking to dip your toe into international travel, highly recommend. Mm. You really do feel like damn near royalty nice um and that feels good um conversely and of course this is my experience I wouldn't want to say anything negative about a place and say whole heart that's how it is but this is my experience um we were received very poorly um in Morocco mm-hmm. um and I think perhaps maybe there's some assessment that she's a dark-skinned black woman so maybe she's you know my husband is white so maybe they assume that I was a prostitute or so I don't know what the reception was but the way that I was treated I was received as if I was a working girl which is very strange to me because I was dressed in jeans and t-shirts um so yeah everywhere I go I I can't help but think um what will this experience be like as a black woman I don't get the luxury of just showing up somewhere and hoping I have a good time I have to think it through Uh um but I don't let that stop me Um, I think sometimes with a lot of um, Black Americans specifically, there is the fear that if I go places that um, folks don't look like me, that I won't be well received and I won't have a good time and it won't be a good experience. Um, And I've had some bad experiences, but 
I really enjoy without sounding trite. I like the journey. I like the journey of not knowing. I like the experience of not um, seeing familiar foods of not understanding the language, but making my way through it. Um, So yeah, I really do love travel. That's my baby. (laughs) And you know what, that's really inspiring because you know, I'm like, what am I working for in this life? You know, and I don't need more yeah. things, you know, right. uh, but I really do believe in the value of travel. Like I was uh, able to travel to Europe when I was really young and mm. it was a wonderful exposure and there's, you know, and I've, and I've been a couple of other places in the world, but there's so much more of the world to see, you know, mm-hmm. and, but I live, I live in DC and uh, you know, and I live and you know, there's, I know people that have never been outside of their neighborhood, you know, sure, like yeah. just across town. Sure. Yeah. sure. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. why would I go over there? There's nothing for me over there. Like, mm-hmm. you don't know what's over there. You know, there's stuff everywhere for everybody. Yeah. So, I mean, when I read that in, in your bio, I was so intrigued by that because, um, because I love travel too. And if I had, if I could, I would travel all the time. I would go yeah. see everything. I am yeah. traveling next Wednesday. I'm going to Portugal. So any any oh nice. Portugal, I, I'm going to Seville and Portugal. Then Portugal. Oh, gorgeous. We've spent right. <clears throat> a good amount of time in Spain. Um, and we were um, just in Spain okay. over Christmas break. Um, but I've never been to Portugal. So you, Sabrina, will have to give me the point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now you got your homework. There you go. Yes. <laughs> to try all of the port wines on the door. There you go. There you go. Anyway, okay. So <laughs> speaking of travel, I have what I'm, I'm going to bring it back to the show for a second because in the third season um, there was a scene where we meet the new uh, owner of Helios. Uh, he's mm. going to buy it from Karen, mm-hmm. and there's this incredible scene where Karen drives out to the desert to meet this guy in his tent, mm-hmm. and it was like this Lawrence of Arabia, mm-hmm. you know, re- reverse where here comes the white woman and she's coming to the <laughs> tent of the black man and he's got all the money. Well, he's really reversed. It's just the same old, same old, but you know, mm-hmm. here's my man. And when he flipped the tent, the thing back and she came in and everything, I just laughed at that setup. But where was that filmed? It looked like it was someplace. It looked like Mars. Here, yeah, that's California for you. There's so many. Yeah, we we shoot everything, and um, I'd say we probably shoot about eighty um, percent of the show on the studio, which is in um, Culver City at Sony. Um, and Sony has been really great to us. We have uh, three gigantic stages there. One stage. Oh, I almost gave away a big spoiler. I ah, <laughs> nice. I stopped oh, myself. But I will say one big stage was the moon. Um, yeah. And now that stage is something else. Okay. So, Moving on. Moving on. But yeah, so when we shoot exteriors like that, that's that's shot here probably maybe 20, 30 minutes outside of LA. I mean, LA is really diverse in that way where the moment you get off of the freeway, I mean, you can find areas that look like Mars. I mean, it's really, really remote. Yeah. That was a great scene. And and I just want, I, how cool is it that the African man is talking about colonizing something? I, just <laughs> love, it. I love it. And, you know, I, I, talk, I spoke to um, Ron about this on, in the first episode of the podcast and asked him, you know, why was it a deliberate choice to make the tech billionaire who's doing private space travel? Um, was that a deliberate choice to make that a black man or was it just because Eddie was the best man for the job? And he said, no, no, it was definitely a deliberate choice. Um, we wanted to tell a story that was not just a proxy for Elon Musk or mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos or uh, Richard Branson. We could do that and it would be pretty on the nose and not very interesting. But the idea that in our For All Mankind timeline, everything is sort of escalated because of the advances that were made after 1969 when we lost the race to the moon. Um, it's not unusual that there is uh, a Black billionaire who is, you know, this Svengali and this genius and phenom. Um, and so I think that that is. Um, just so clever and so cool um you guys are going to see more of eddie as the season goes on and he is ridiculously talented and is absolutely the man for the job and i just think from a casting standpoint to know they didn't know that it would definitely be a black man from immigrant descent they just knew it needs to be somebody 
else. It, it can't just be this over 50, you know, straight white guy, like the ones that I just mentioned. That's, that's not what we want to do. Um, and I think it's a great opportunity for the actor too, for a different kind of person to tell a different kind of story. Yeah. I am so loving that story because all of the scenes were so spot on, even when they were asking for the vote on Ed. I just, <laughs> Karen was so lost over there. But um, <laughs> I, I am so excited to see the rest of this because I, I tell you, I don't know. I'll tell you this right now. If it, I know season three, episode one had to be one of the most chilling. I, I actually had to stop the tape because I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I wouldn't have pressured or went up. And I said, I said, I know Ron Moore will kill a character. I said, if he, <laughs> he really him, will. Yes, he will. <laughs> he really well, will. He won't even think twice. Nope. <laughs> so, I yeah. I'll come through a screen. Listen, ladies, <laughs> as we bring this conversation to a close, I will just say that don't be so quick to count out Ron's ability to kill folks off. You know, never am. And I've watched every episode like, oh God, who's going oh, to go? Any oh, minute now. Go? I know. Somebody's going to go. Know. <laughs> oh, Polaris. I, I, I just think that, you know, I mean, this has been really lovely to be able to talk to you. Um, Thank you. Because we are, I mean, I, I when I saw... I had to go back. Like when I first saw you on there, I was like, I know this sister. I have seen her in <laughs> so many. And I was like, oh yeah, I've seen her. I started reading all your credits. I was like, yep, seen that. Yep, seen that. Yep, seen that. Yep, seen that. And, you know, so to have you um, in a in a role like this on this show, it just, it's it's wonderful because because you're a delight to watch on screen. You know, I, you. I love um, I love how you do your job. you do it so well that you know and and you really bring your characters to so to life for us and you know and I'm really happy about uh the fact that you know you are getting to represent this character for us and and for all the little brown and black girls coming up and also all the other kids coming up so you know it's not just for us to see and and have role models it's for the whole world uh, to recognize and and see, you know, thank you for the work that you do. We really appreciate it. Well, I want to thank you for doing what you guys are doing. You know, when you guys found me on Twitter and sent a message, it just it hadn't even dawned on me. You know, and I think I think even though we're all trying to make efforts to include every kind of person when they're doing press, you know, they reach out to whatever. Variety and Hollywood Reporter and blah 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 blah, and so when I saw, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is such a natural progression!" Like, yeah, we absolutely should sit down and talk to these ladies. How come they haven't been included? What do we need to do to include them? Like, let's let's you know, I love the work that you guys are doing, and there is a huge community of um, black women out there who love science fiction, and not until joining this show did I really realize how big that community is, and. I think um, one of the things that I love about working on the show is that, you know, especially during the pandemic, when folks are feeling so isolated, so insulated from their world, from their friends, from connective tissue. And it seemed like so many people found um, a sense of community in our show, which made me feel really good. Like if I can help folks not feel alone, even if it's just for an hour, then I feel like I'm, I'm in my purpose. Um, And I feel like you ladies are in your purpose in the same way, the women who follow you and the folks who are parts of your uh, Facebook group and listen to your podcast, like they feel connected and they feel seen. And I think that's what we all want in this world. Right. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for saying that. that, that makes us feel really good because that's, that's the goal. That's the the mission. You know, when you were talking about like, we, you know, we create this, try to affect change in these other ways i'm like that's exactly Mm -hmm. it this is exactly why we exist you know because this is our way to be able to affect change in the world you know i'm not i did had my years of being out uh picketing and demonstrating and marching you know Mm -hmm. and and it was great and i'm glad i did it and now i have enough Right on, sister. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
you know, and now we have this platform and, yeah. um, you know, we're and so- both are important, right, you know, yes. the world, is, the world needs both. You got to burn down a CVS and you also got to, <laughs> <laughs> you also got to be together and find your community and, and finding places where folks can feel, um, feel not alone and feel understood and, and feel like somebody else speaks the same language as they do. Like, you know, there's, there's no worse feeling than feeling like nobody gets it. Nobody gets you. And then you're out there on your own. It's just the worst. Yes. Um, so this is important. This is really important. So you guys can't stop. Thank you. And we won't. <laughs> we won't. And, now, and now you'll never get rid of us. because we're. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, I mean, we're going to have to talk again. We'll have to talk at the end of the season yes. when we can okay. really okay. talk about it. We're not, our, our hands are not strained right. from mm-hmm. not giving away all these spoilers. Mm-hmm. We can really just get into it and discuss it. And you guys, I mean, I know you guys have seen a handful of episodes, but the, the second half of the season is on another level. I mean, okay. it's like, I can't it feels uh, like it's I- just a season finale after a like every oh my god seven eight nine ten and like you want to talk about pausing the tv you're like i can't breathe (laughs) i was there when we made it and i can't breathe (laughs) let me tell you that's not right chris (laughs) (laughs) this show is the reason why i have apple tv Nice. I was nice. not going to pay for a yet another streaming service. Oh. And then I started with the, the heads of our podcast network, um, Bill and Dan, or the, um, the Trek Geeks. Hi, Ted. Uh, <laughs> the Trek Geeks. They were saying, you got to watch for all mankind. You got to watch. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll watch it. And I watched one episode. And then I think I was up till like three o'clock in the morning because yep. I just kept going. I couldn't stop. And I was like, oh man, okay. It's a thing. I have Apple now. <laughs> well, now that you guys have it, you got to watch Foundation. Foundation is really good as well. And there are some great black Girl. female characters who are the leads. Yes. And these girls okay. are doing a they... phenomenal work. You got to watch Foundation. Okay. Foundation. The sci-fi sisters are all over foundation too, girl. Nice. Let me tell nice. you. Like we all over because we're like, oh my God, look, it's just sister love up in everywhere. Yes. Everywhere. Like that's our show. Okay. No, Apple, Apple has been great. I mean, they are for a long time it was like you know, everybody wanted to work on network TV and then everybody wanted to work on cable TV and, and the forefront <laughs> of cool TV was HBO and Showtime and stuff like that. And now I feel like Apple is in a class of their own with oh, shows yeah. like um, like our show, Foundation, Severance. I don't know if you guys have seen Severance, but it's excellent. Um, they're not afraid to, you know, I think one of the things that our show suffered from, and I'm using the word suffered even lightly, one of the things that we suffered from early on is because we didn't have a really big glitzy cast, mm-hmm. um, we had a tough time finding an audience. And, you know, most networks are not willing to put the kind of time or money into a production unless they've got these big glitzy stars at the front that they can guarantee folks will watch it. But, you know, they got us (laughs) and we are um, doing really bang up work that took time for us to find the audience in an organic way. But never once was the network ever um, waffling or questioning our ability and it's just awesome and I think foundation is a similar show in that same way where yeah. it's got an amazing cast of characters but not that sort of this is a huge big celebrity that you're gonna you know tune in for right. um, but they're still making great tv and apple's not going to shy away from that so yeah I'm glad that you guys have broken down and paid the $4.99 <laughs> for another, another streaming service <laughs> I'll, I'll Venmo you. I'll Venmo each and every one of you. It's more than it's gas. Still August. It's still August. That said, it's, it's so more August. than gas. <laughs> okay, I paid five oh nine the other day. There you go. Right. I, I can't even. Like, oh my god, are we back in the seventies again? Okay. <laughs> well, I'm gonna wrap this up because we know that your time is limited and we just thank you so much for spending some of it with us Uh, we really appreciate it and folks we thank you for listening and Yvette do you want to tell folks where they can reach us if they have thoughts about this episode or anything else that they want to talk about sure you can find us at sci-fi-sisters.com that's s-y-f-y-s-i-s-t-a-s.com join us on the mothership that's M-U-T-H-A, 
S-H-I-P, and the Sci-Fi Sisters Book Club, both on Facebook. Download the Trek Geeks Network app, where you can find us and our family of podcasts on the Trek Geeks Network, on Instagram, sci-fi.sisters. And we are also on the Twitter, at Sci-Fi Sisters. Become a patron of Sci-Fi Sisters today at patreon.com forward slash Sci-Fi Sisters. After listening to this podcast, please rate us and write a review. We may just read it on an upcoming episode. And of course, we want to shout out the baddest engineer in all the universes and galaxies. He's responsible for all the music you hear on a show and all the engineering skills. It's Dose the Anonymous One. Dose, 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 dose. That's D-O-S-T-H-E-A-N-O-N-Y-M-O-U-S. The Anonymous One. Dose underscore the anonymous underscore the number one on Instagram. And uh, that's it. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Peace, love, and hair grease. Thank you, ladies.